What up, guys? This is JP from The Chase Down, and I'm here with my co-host, Ben. What's up, everybody? And today we have a pretty big news day, especially surrounded by coaching. Uh, we have some Team USA news for the Olympics coming up this summer. And we obviously have the draft lottery, which I'm super excited about to talk about. And we just have basketball games that are still going on. So we have a bunch to talk about today. We're going to hop right into some breaking news, actually. Rick Carlisle just got uh, hired by the Indiana Pacers. And I'm just going to start with a hot take. I think that the Pacers are going to be the fourth seed in the East next year. Wow, yeah, that is a hot take. Um, what, what about Rick Carlisle do you think will put him there? Um, Indi- people seem to forget that Indiana was like a formidable team until just this year with plenty of injuries and a head coach that literally everyone on the roster hated. Um, people like TJ Warren could have come back this season, but didn't like Nate Bjorkren enough to come back and play basketball and receive his contract. Think of that. So they hated this dude. Um, almost a physical altercation happened on the sideline with Nate Bjork running Goga Badatsi. So, like, everyone on this team hated him. So their wins plummeted through the toilet. We saw what they could do against the Charlotte Hornets. They just dismantled them um, in the play-in game. So once this team actually has a coach that they like and they can play for, they hover around either the four or five seed every single year. Um, they're just one of those teams where no one's excellent, but no one sucks. And they're just going to, they're basically the better version of the Knicks. So I see that type of season happening for them next year. And that would be an awesome turnaround because this season was a little bit disappointing. Um, I think Bjorkren does take a good amount of the blame for the fact that this season sucked so much for the Pacers. Um, TJ Warren coming back is going to be big. I In Rick Carlisle's exit from Dallas, I saw just a bunch of different reporters, ex-players and all that, just kind of trashing him. Yeah. Style of coaching, not for his like X's and O's, but like the, the abrasive way that he coaches. Yeah. Um, He's very much not a uh, connecting with all your players and like really liking being around them. He is very like, I'm going to yell at you and tell you everything you do wrong all the time until you get better. Mm-hmm. And certain mindsets of people really respond well to that, and others really don't. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what sort of the the sort of culture that exists in Indiana, and whether or not people are really going to respond well to that. But I think clearly they're going to be better than a nine seed. Yeah, I don't think it's even a debate. The talent they have on that team is undeniable. Malcolm Brogdon, borderline All Star. Sabonis, All Star. Miles Turner in the running for defensive player of the year. TJ Warren had a great bubble. Like they just have Karis LeVert, right? They just have a bunch of people on that team that are above average NBA players. They should not have been the nine seed this year. You can go to our preseason podcast. I predicted they were going to be in the top five, I think. So um, yeah, I I just have a lot of belief in this team. And I just like the way they constructed the roster. Uh, It really just comes down to the coach. I mean, if what you're saying is true and like, the reason Nate Bjorkren was so hated is because he couldn't connect with a single player on that team. Um, he was just X's and O's. And if Rick Carlisle brings that same type of thing to the team, hopefully there's not another mutiny. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that would just be awful for them because it's a four year deal. They signed him to. Yeah. Um, he's an excellent coach. It's not like his, his X's and O's, the plays that he draws up, the sets that he creates, the offense he runs so much better than Bjorkren. Um, so even if all they're getting from him is set plays and X's and O's, they're going to be a better team than they were this year. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you do hope that he can kind of, 
I, it'll be interesting to see because the the Mav strategy was we have one player that's incredibly ball dominant, mm-hmm. and we're going to surround him with role players. Um, they don't really have that. That's never been the style for Indiana. They run a lot of offense through Brogdon, a lot of offense through Savonis. Yeah. Uh, I think Rick Carlisle is far smart enough to be able to figure out a good offense that works there. Um, but it's going to be much different than what he was doing in Dallas. I think he's probably happy to get away from what they were doing in Dallas. I mean, like, as a basketball purist, people out there are probably thinking what Dallas does isn't even really basketball, right? You have four people watching and one player playing. Um, In Indiana, that is not their style of play. It's ball movement, it's setting screens, it's running around, open threes, and just taking advantage of what the other team gives you. And I think, honestly, as a, like, just trying to get my head into the head of Rick Carlisle, he's probably more excited to coach a team who has different ways to play offense rather than just one guy holds the ball 43% of all possessions and controls everything by himself. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I think it's also easier to motivate role players and extra guys on a team where you have a bigger role. Like when your role is just you will sit in the corner and catch and shoot threes, it's hard to really be motivated, I think. Um, but if you're actually given a role and you're given things to do that utilize your skill set, I think that probably motivates a team much better than what he was doing in Dallas. So, yeah, I think I agree with you. Yeah, so that's Rick Carlisle to the Indiana Pacers. Huge fan of that signing. And now we have to talk about our hometown Celtics. They just signed Ime Udoka as our head coach. He's a former player and had great reviews throughout the entire league. And honestly, I can say I'm super excited. Um, I've heard that Jalen Brown was a huge proponent of Udoka's. He really wanted him to be our head coach. And honestly, I'm okay with letting Jalen Brown make the decision for our head coach. I mean, he's a smart guy. He's an intelligent guy, emotionally aware. And if he connects with a guy, hopefully he stays around a long, long time. Um, I heard rumors that Jason Tatum liked Chauncey Billups as the option, Um, but hopefully Tatum Uh, bonds with Udoka I just think it's nice to get some new faces in this organization I think it's nice to get some new faces in head coaching in Mm. the NBA I really um, Rick Carlisle's amazing and it makes complete sense to me that he would go coach another team because any team would want him Um, but it frustrates me a bit to see the kind of revolving door that exists where garbage coaches get fired and then just picked up on new teams yeah uh, like a Luke Walton to the Kings yeah um but, yeah, I think Ime Udoka is going to be great. He was the defensive coordinator for the Nets this year. Um, I'm not sure how good his offensive-minded game is. I'm sure it's fine. I think the all the players that I've seen talk about him really seem to respect him. Um, and I agree with you that if Jalen Brown's the sort of dude who – if he really wants him on our team, you go get him. Yeah. Um, this seems like two for two so far for Brad Stevens as the president of basketball operations, I'm, I'm excited to see what he does next. I really think we got to get rid of Tristan Thompson. Mm-hmm. Um, the nine and a half million is just too much money to be paying him to be a third string center. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think this should be a great, this will be a great hire for the Celtics. I think so too. And what I've heard about Udoka throughout the league is that a lot of guys just love to be around him and, Uh, Coming into the year, people were joking about Steve Nash, that he was the vibes coach. I Mm -hmm. don't think people realize how important that actually is. I mean, as a head coach, 
for your players to just want to be around you and not dread going into work every day, that is a huge advantage that you have over other teams. Um, and hopefully Udoka, like even if his offensive mind isn't what maybe Rick Carlisle's is or another coach's, he's going to put a team around him that makes this team the most successful it possibly can. Um, I just, I'm a huge fan of Udoka. I think he's going to be fine offensively. I think he's going to be fine defensively. When you have Tatum and Brown, it's not hard to put in an offense that is going to work. Um, so, and he's, he's got Brad upstairs if he does need help. Um, so I just, I think it's just a really good fit and I'm super excited for this next season. Yeah, I think the first point you made is really, really uh, important because coaches really do have to manage players. They have to get players to relax, get players to lock in in certain times. A lot of that is on the players, but if you look at excellent coaches in the past, like Phil Jackson was able to manage players like outside of basketball better than most people. Um, he was able to just calm guys down, let guys do if they needed to – uh, go out and do something like a Dennis Rodman, giving him a, a big leash and letting him do whatever the hell he wanted to do, but knowing that when it comes time to play basketball, he'll be ready to go. Uh, you need a coach who can do that very well. And I, that almost might be more important than the X's and O's, especially when you've got the talent that the Celtics have. Yeah. Um, if you can just get them to lock into every game, that is incredibly important. Yeah, I think it is more important than the X and O's because, like I said, like you can just hire assistants that know what they're doing with that stuff. Um, obviously, Udoka has a great, vast well of basketball knowledge, but the most important thing he's got to do is keep Tatum happy and keep Brown happy and make that locker room a fun place to come into work every day. And I think he's going to be great for that. So I'm just I'm stoked that we have some new faces in the organization. I think it's going to be really good. Totally agree. I think this is a big hire. The next news or potential news that we have to talk about is Becky Hammond um, is a finalist for the Portland Trailblazers job. And if she does end up getting the job, she'll be the first female head coach in NBA history. Um, I really want her to get the job. I just think it's time for a female coach to get a job. It's been long overdue. Um, there are plenty of female candidates out there that absolutely could have had a head coaching job already. Becky Hammond being the top of the list um, and to think that she hasn't had an opportunity when you have guys like Luke, Walk, Luke Walton or Scott Brooks running around. It's just like, it's ridiculous. Um, I know there's another female head coach candidate in New Orleans, something, I think it's Teresa Witherspoon, who is just super widely respected throughout the entire league. Like there has to be a female coach soon. Um, I just think Becky Hammond's super deserving of it. And I'd love to see her coach a team that's not going to lose right away, right? Because if she coaches a trash team, people are going to say, oh, look at this, the first woman's head, woman's head coach, her record's like this, this, and that, if it's horrible. If she's winning games, there's going to be none of that. They can't retort it. So if she gets Dame Lillard, that gives her a leg up on other coaches, and it lead, it's probably going to lead to a winning record. Yeah, I think you're totally right. I think it's kind of inevitable that Becky Hammond will get a job coaching some team in the NBA. Yeah. Um, she took over for Greg Popovich in two games, I think, last season. Um, I wanted her to get Pop's job. I think it's about time that he goes, that he retires. Um, he's kind of hinted towards the fact that he's been considering retiring. Um, and I think if he does retire and Becky Hammond is still on that roster, still on that pay squad, that she'll get the head coaching job. Um, but 
Dame and the Trailblazers would be a much better situation for her to land in than the Spurs. I think you're absolutely right there. Um, I'm, I'm excited to see this happen. I think I'm not sure how many other really good names are out there for Portland. Um, most of the, the other names that were thrown about there didn't seem to be like a plus sort of coaching picks. Yeah. Um, I think Becky Hammond's probably the best out of the finalists that Portland has. I would love to see her get that job. It's her and Chauncey Billups. Those are the two finalists. And I think they're neck and neck. I would love to see Hammond get the job over Billups because I think Billups has his eyes set on other places too. So um, I just think Hammond and Lillard together, I think that would be such a cool combination. Um, and I think, I think she doesn't get enough credit as being like a pop underling. Like I feel like if she was a guy, she'd already have a job like six years ago. But because she's a woman and people are afraid to make the first step, she doesn't have a job. I think it's ridiculous. She's coached multiple summer league teams to championships. I know it's just the summer league team, but I think that shows that she knows how to coach young players. And then she's been an assistant on the Spurs staff for years and years and years around Tim Duncan, Kawhi Leonard. Like she's been around some of the greatest players to ever touch a basketball. So I just, I just think she needs that job. I think it would be a tragedy if they don't, if they don't hire her. Yeah, I think she hasn't really been looking for other jobs because she was uh, – this, this might just be rumors, but it seemed like she was under the impression that when Pop leaves, she gets his job. Um, so she hasn't looked a lot. She hasn't been in reports for other head coaching jobs. Um, but it is just a matter of time. She's got the brains for it. Coaching, coaching summer league championships is important. Yeah. Um, to show that you have a good mind for NBA coaching. I'm not sure what Chauncey Billups has done to earn the, the respect or the, the title of a head coaching job. Um, I like Chauncey Billups. I think he was an awesome player. Um, I think he's got a good mind for the game, but he hasn't really proved anything. Becky Hammond's proved herself. Um, well, the argument for Chauncey Billups is he's a Hall of Fame point guard, and the track record for Hall of Fame players as coaches has just been unbelievable. So yeah, I if think you, if you ignore Jason Kidd. Jason Kidd did okay in Milwaukee for a couple of years. I mean, he's a good development coach. He's not yeah. a good coach. Yeah, but now we they have had Steve. to write articles in the Milwaukee in Milwaukee papers saying, "Please get this man the hell out of Milwaukee." Yeah, no, I know, I know, but just the overall, like Doc Rivers, as much as we, me, and you, like get on his case, like great record. Steve Nash, he's showing it this year. Yes, the talent's crazy, but the ego management. So that would be his case, but. Like, like, and the thing about Becky looking for jobs is what I seem to understand is she wasn't looking at opportunities, not because she thought she was going to get the Spurs job, but she didn't want to walk into an organization that was just going to lose games for five years. She understands her, the, like the momentum of what she's doing. If she gets a job and wins games, there's going to be female coaches for the next decade being hired. Like it's normal. If she gets a job and she loses every game, it's she'll be fired quickly and there won't be another female coach for 10, 15 years. So yeah, there is a ridiculous amount of pressure on her yeah. more so than on any other coach that would come into the NBA. Um, but I think she's, I think we both agree that she'd be ready for it. Yeah. I'm, I'm praying she gets that job. Um, another news we have to talk about is the team USA roster. Um, the team USA's 12 man roster for the Tokyo Olympics is Kevin Durant, Damian Lillard, Bradley Beal, Jason Tatum, Devin Booker, Zach Levine, Kevin Love, Bam Adebayo, Draymond Green, Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, and Jeremy Grant. 
Um, team's pretty stacked. I don't see any country really even giving us a run for our money. Um, that starting five alone is just going to be just domination over. I, I don't really even know what other – I know Spain in basketball is always in the running because they keep the same players around and they have great chemistry every single year. But in terms of just talent, I mean, Kevin Durant's the best player on the planet right now. So does – I mean, when we have him, we're probably going to win every game. Uh, yeah, this this 12-man lineup is disgusting. Um, like, it, it's just – the only surprising name here is Kevin Love. Um, yes. I was hearing – I heard reports before he was an official name that he wanted to be on this squad because he – I don't know, there's some belief that playing in the summer, playing with this Olympic squad will give him a little more energy going into the regular season because hmm. he's been phoning it in for a couple of years now. Um so he's the only one that doesn't make sense to be on this list. I hope he kind of gets his act together and starts actually trying this next season. Because yeah. um, we'll get to the draft lottery real quick, but the Cavs got a good pick. So they got a good chance to be a better team. I hope this revitalizes some energy that he has. I like that they called up Jeremy Grant. Um, I like that Drew Holiday's on the list. Um, I Honestly, besides Kevin Love, I think all the other picks are great. It's going to be cool to see Zach Levine balling out in the Olympics too. Yeah, definitely. Zach Levine was cooking this year. And to see him going against other talent across the world, like, you know, he's just going to put up a ton of buckets. So, um, yeah, I'm super excited for the Olympics. But after the break, we're going to get to the draft lottery, which I'm very excited to talk about. All right. And we're back. Uh, the draft lottery was two days ago, last Tuesday at 830. Yeah. And there were a couple of shockers. Uh, Detroit got the number one pick. Yeah. Big surprise there. I mean, they were a terrible team, but still surprised to see them get yeah. there. Um, what were your thoughts on the draft lottery? So I'll just hop into Detroit right away. They haven't gotten the first overall pick since 1970. Um, they drafted Bob Lanier, who ended up being a Hall of Famer. So they clearly know what they're doing, but it's been that long since they got the number one pick. And I'm just going to do my little tangent on the Pistons now. Um, but I think they are eerily similar to the Grizzlies of last year. Um, when John Morant first got drafted, he had Triple J from the year before, and they also nailed the draft with Brandon Clark. So they just had a young core immediately that took some people by surprise out of the gate. And I see the same thing with the Pistons. Obviously, they're going to draft Cade Cunningham number one overall, who I think has a chance to be an all-star in like his second year. I think he's going to be a great player. They have Killian Hayes, who I'm up and down on, but I think overall has good talent. They have Isaiah Stewart, who made an all-rookie team, and they have Sadiq Bey, who I'm a big fan of as just a 3 and D guy who just chucks it from three. I mean, he takes so many threes. He shoots well from the free throw line. And they have Jeremy Grant, too, a seasoned vet who can give you 20 points per game. So I think this team's going to take people by storm. I it's, So it's taken me a little while to try to jump on this train with you. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I think I'm just going to watch. Uh, I'm not going to be as hyped about Detroit as you are. I've watched too many years of them just being absolute garbage. Um, <laughs> that It's, it's going to take a little bit. They're going to have to prove to me that they can actually improve. Um, they won 20 games last year. Um, my, my issue, I think Dwayne Casey is kind of like Budenholzer, where in the regular season, he's a fine coach. But as soon as you get to the playoffs, you would rather have an empty chair. Um, 
Dwayne Casey's never been good in the playoffs, but I think he'll bring them to a much better regular season than they had this year. And I think having Cade in that lineup is going to be awesome for them. Um, I don't know that Detroit has any other important picks. They have the 37th pick and the 42nd pick um, and the 52nd pick. So they have three second rounders. Yeah. Not like any of those guys are going to be productive NBA players, but there's a chance one out of three of those is. Yeah. Um, This is huge for Detroit. The last time they got a top two pick was Darko Milicic back in what, 2003? Mm. Um, And that didn't go well at all. I think there is a 0% chance that Cade Cunningham does not work out for this team. Yeah. Um, Like that he ends up being the sort of bust that Darko Milicic was 0%. Cade Cunningham is so ready. Um, He seemed excited about Detroit getting the first pick too, which is really cool. Um, It's a little, it sucks sometimes when you see in the NFL or in the NBA, they, the top guy sees who the number one pick is. And then they just kind of get depressed about the fact that they got to go live in like Jacksonville or wherever. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But yeah, the fact that he's excited to be in Detroit and I saw Sadiq Bey called up Cade and FaceTimed him and chatted with him for a bit. I I think there is a chance that this team's going to surprise a lot of people. And what you said about Dwayne Casey, I tend to disagree a little bit with the playoffs. I just think DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry in those years were some of the worst playoff performers in NBA history. I don't know how much we can put on Dwayne Casey, but from what I saw from the Pistons last year is super encouraging. They beat teams they shouldn't have beaten. And in the games they lost, at least they kept them close. And for a team that only won 20 games, that's a really good thing that I can say about that team. So I'm super happy for them and all the fans of Detroit because they've been irrelevant for basically since 2004 when they won the championship. So The last playoff win in Detroit for any sport was five years ago. Yeah, it's just they need a, they need a boost. They need a star in that market, and I think they're going to get one with Cade. Um, but we'll move on to the Rockets. You know my guy, Evan Mobley. I'm a big fan of him. You're a little less excited about him, but – I just think this is a weird fit, and I don't think they're going to choose him. I think Evan Mobley is the second best player in this draft, but I think the Houston Rockets are going to take Jalen Green over Mobley because they already have Christian Wood. And Christian Wood and Evan Mobley are eerily similar. Like, their games are pretty similar, except Evan Mobley is a better defender and Christian Wood's a better offensive player. So I think they're just going to get Jalen Green, but I, I love Evan Mobley. Yeah, I think wherever Evan Mobley goes, he needs to be the five. Um, You can't have Christian Wood starting at the five and then Evan Mobley at the four. I think that's just kind of a weird fit. Yeah. Um, You're right that their games are pretty similar. Christian Wood's got a lot more size on him than Mobley. Mobley's still very skinny. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, I think Jalen Green would be great for Houston. Jalen Suggs would be great because Jalen Suggs, we've talked about, is a a leader. He's a great culture fit on top of being an incredibly talented basketball player. Um, And I think Houston does need some culture fits um, because I don't know that they really have any direction right now. Yeah. Um, This was the one pick. So I, when I saw the results from the draft, I thought Detroit having the number one pick is terrible, but I've kind of flipped on that. I think Houston having the number two pick is terrible. Yeah. Um, I think, I would have liked to see that pick convey to somebody else just because I don't know. I don't really care about Houston anymore. Um, But the fact that they get a chance to draft Evan Mobley and then have him not work out makes me very worried. 
Um, Because I think you're setting yourself up for failure if you have this squad as the Rockets and you draft Evan Mobley. Yeah, I I don't think he's the right fit there, even though, like I said, I think he's the second best player in this draft. I just don't know how that would work alongside Christian Wood. I I just think they paid him a decent amount of money. He showed how good he was last year by averaging like 20 and 11 when he played. Um, I just don't know if putting a rookie right by him and taking Christian Wood's minutes is like in the best interest of the team. But that leads me to the Cleveland Cavaliers, who got the third overall pick, which is big for them. But I think they're going to trade out of it. Um, Very rarely do we see teams in the top three trade out. And most of the time, people get burned for that. But at the three spot, you're either choosing Jalen Green or Jalen Suggs if Mobley gets picked. And then if Mobley doesn't, you're choosing Mobley or Jalen Suggs. And they already have Jared Allen, who they're going to pay $100 million next year over five years. And then Jalen Suggs, they already have Darius Garland and Colin Sexton. There is no real perfect fit for Cleveland other than Cade Cunningham, and Cade was going only one. He's not sliding. So I think they're going to trade out to a team like OKC or maybe Orlando, um, something like that. And I think some team's going to shock some all of us and jump into the three spot. I think it's possible. What I would rather see happen for Cleveland's success is ship out Colin Sexton um, and then draft Jalen Suggs and have Jalen Suggs be your main point guard. Um, Colin Sexton, you can say a lot of positive things about him. He is an absolute fighter. He is someone who tries his absolute hardest in every single game. Um, He's got some Russell Westbrook type problems where he gets kind of tunnel visioned and he needs to be the dude to shoot them out into some games. Yes. Um, and his ball handling, his ball handling is fine, but his passing is not good. His mm-hmm. desire to pass is not good. Yeah. Um, Jalen Suggs, I think, is just a winning basketball player. Um, and I think the Cavs would improve if they shipped out Sexton and brought in Jalen Suggs. Yeah, Sexton's, it's more about his in it, like inability to pass rather than the skill he actually has to do it. Because he can put passes on a dime. He doesn't want to. He doesn't want to. Right. And there were reports out that any, like opposing teams would make fun of the role players while Colin Sexton had the ball and taunting them saying like, you're never going to touch that ball. You know that, right? Like when you have a player on your team, that's that ball dominant, you got to get rid of him. It's not going to lead to wins. He's just padding his stats at this point, even though it was leading to wins in the first like 20 games of the season, it, it <laughs> went badly very quickly. So I agree with you there. He had an absolute flamethrower game against Brooklyn. Yes. (laughs) Um, And honestly, that game exists on YouTube. Go watch the highlights. Uh, But if you watch the highlights, there's stupid shots that he's taking. Yes. They fell and they went in and it looked amazing. But that's what he does is he just, wherever he is on the floor, all right, time to rise up and hit this. Um, And it's just not great for winning. Like maybe one out of eight times you'll, you'll be successful for that. But yeah, I think... His value is not that bad right now, too. So, if anything, this would be a good time to sell Colin Sexton. Yeah. But moving on to maybe the biggest move up other than Detroit getting the number one pick is Toronto at four. Uh, I believe Toronto was slotted at the number seven pick, and they moved all the way up to four. And I could not be happier for a franchise for getting a top four pick. Kyle Lowry is presumably leaving this offseason. I don't think he'll stay with Toronto. I think he's going to go somewhere where he has a better chance to win a championship. And I think Jalen Suggs walks in the door 
and is your next Kyle Lowry for the next 15 years. It's just like he is he is a more athletic Kyle Lowry. He's a leader. He tries on defense. He makes the chippy plays. He's a streaky shooter. He'll set other guys up. It's just he's a better athlete. It's it's incredible how this worked out for Toronto. And a backcourt of Fred Van Fleet and Jalen Suggs is actually a pretty great backcourt. So I'm happy for that team. Yeah, it would be awesome to see Jalen Suggs fall to four. Um, I think it's a little bit unlikely, unless everything that you say pans out and Cleveland trades away from the, the top three pick. Yeah. Because um, I think there's a chance that Houston just straight up takes him at two. Wow. Um, who, would he, who would they take over him? Jalen Green? Do you think Green's a better prospect? So Green has better long-term, like, value. So, like, I think it's undeniable that Jalen Suggs is more of a winning player. He's good at the dirty stuff, but Jalen Green can give you 25 a night for the next 12 years, and it won't – like, you won't even blink your eye. So I feel like people are going to lean towards Green rather than Suggs. It's it's totally possible. Um, Either Jalen, I think, will do very well with Toronto. Jalen Green – if he ends up in Toronto and then they have two incredibly explosive scores at the guard position, um, that'll be really fun to watch. Toronto needs a big. So there's also a chance that Evan Mobley falls to four um, and they end up with him. And I think that could be pretty cool. We saw this year how bad Toronto was without a solid big man Um, and having somebody that they could kind of put on their team and have him grow for the next couple of years. I think Mobley, if he ended up in Toronto, that would be an excellent place for him. Um, I kind of feel like with Toronto, there isn't out of the top four guys that are available, any one of them will instantly be a productive player for this team. Yeah. 100%. Um, I totally agree. I feel like Toronto with a proven head coach in Nick Nurse and a decent supporting cast. I mean, this team struggled last year, but injuries plagued them and having the worst center rotation in the entire league plagued them. Like, they still have Fred Van Fleet. They still have Pascal Siakam. They still have Gary Trent Jr. Like, this team is still a formidable team. It's just they hit some roadblocks, and they couldn't even play in their home country. I mean, they literally had to play in Tampa Bay, Florida. So I think this is, like, basically just the karmic reward for having such a difficult season thrown on them. Absolutely. Having to play in a hotel – having to live in a hotel for months. Yeah. um, And playing in a – playing for, like, an – in a place that you don't recognize in an arena you don't recognize basically every game is an away game because it's not like there's toronto raptor fans out in florida right um this was great that this happened to them yeah. um i want to move on to number five because this is where i'm a bit worried mm. um the orlando magic i don't believe in at all i don't believe in their ability to become a winning team Getting rid of Steve Clifford hurts. They're going to be rebuilding this year. Um, I'm not sure. Jonathan Kaminga is a great, seems like a great player in the highlights I saw on the G League team. Um, I'm not sure how impactful it'll be for Orlando. I'm going to say a hot take here. I think Scotty Barnes might get selected over Jonathan Kaminga. Um, I said a while back that Scotty Barnes is like quietly becoming my favorite player, like sleeper player. And I think, I think just his size and playmaking and defense is better than anything Kaminga can give you right now. Uh, Kaminga, he's one of those prospects like Giannis, where maybe one day he just develops everything. But it's just the physical tools right now. He doesn't really, like, he, 
he has a great handle and he gets to the cup at a really good rate, but his jump shot is shot and he's, he can become pretty ball dominant at times. So it's like, I don't know. Scott, Scotty Barnes seems like the right now option. Kaminga seems like the future. So if you're saying like, if what you're saying is true, they want to rebuild for the next couple of years, I think Kaminga's the guy, but who knows? Yeah. I mean, I think Scotty Barnes is a more talented basketball player right now. Yeah. Um, you're right. Jonathan Kaminga has the tools. He's six, eight. He's got pretty good amount of muscle for a dude who's I think 19. Um, and I mean, we saw bits of improvement over the year in the G league. So it seems like he does work hard. Um, Oklahoma city thunder though, at number six is who I want to talk about more. If Scotty Barnes falls to them, that will be great for them. I, uh, have been saying this to you. I'll say it on the pod just so this is known. I would love them to take Keon Johnson. Um, this dude is an athletic freak. He just set the NBA draft combine record with a 48 inch running vertical leap, um, which is ridiculous. That's like Gerald green back when he used to play back when he could get his eyes above the rim. That's how high he's jumping. Yeah. Um, Oklahoma city is a great place to develop talent. Um, there, if you watch the games that they played last year, there are a bunch of young guys who, compete every single night and they work really really hard together um and i think having a place like that a place like that would be great for keon johnson to develop um i'm worried that if he falls too much he'll he he has a chance to be a bust he goes to sacramento at nine new orleans at 10 um maybe indiana at 13 if he falls all the way that far it'll be a bit worrying for him or even orlando at eight um but that's who I want to see the OKC Thunder take. I think it might be a little bit of a stretch because nobody's going to be looking for him at number six. Yeah. Um, but just that's the, the team where I think he would go best. I think so, too. It's either that or the Warriors. Yeah. But I don't think he falls one through seven. I think he's in picks eight to 14. So maybe – maybe something really crazy happens and he falls all the way to 14 and the golden state warriors get him. Or I think the Pacers would be okay. I maybe, just, yeah. Yeah. I mean, with Carlisle, uh, he'll yeah. probably have a short leash, short leash anyway, yes. but it'll be a good place to learn. Yeah. But I think you're spot on. Like if he goes to Orlando, if he goes to Sacramento or he goes to new Orleans, he's just gonna bust. I, I totally agree with you that those franchise has, have proven to us as fans that they don't know what they're doing with young talent most of the time. So mm -hmm. I don't, I don't have a lot of faith in those teams. Yeah. I mean, we can just, so let's get to the, through the top 10 here, golden state number seven, yeah. Franz Wagner mm. would be a great piece for them. He's already got an incredibly high floor, pretty low ceiling. Um, yeah. But on a team like the warriors, you don't need the next star of the league. You need guys who can pair well with the talent you have right now. And Franz Wagner is like the ultimate glue guy that you could draft right now. I think um, Davian Mitchell goes there really well too. I oh, think, yeah. I think he's a great fit because they just need willing defenders and people who can just get out there and give good minutes. And they don't have a lot of those players on war on the Warriors right now. So I think Davian Mitchell's like just ready to go. And he's a junior. He's been in, he was a junior in college. He's been in basketball for long enough that he's kind of polished some of his skills. Yep. Um, that would be a great, excuse me, a great place for him to land. Um, I love Franz Wagner though, just as a glue guy. Yeah. Might be tough to find him minutes. 
um, with the the team that they now have over in Golden State. I don't know how much minutes he'll play behind Wiggins and Oubre. Yeah. Um, but D- Davion Mitchell, I think, probably would also be a great piece for them. Yeah, I think it's a perfect fit. And I think just it adds an identity to that bench, too, because he's the type of player who he is a leader and he does set the tone as a defender. He won a Defensive Player of the Year award in college as a six-foot guard. So, I mean, he's just – he's a bulldog, and he's going to get in your face a lot of the possessions. So, I just think that's a great fit for them. Yeah, I think uh, Orlando Magic has the number eight pick as well, and I think Franz Wagner and Davion Mitchell, you kind of swap them. Mm -hmm. Um, Their impact is both going to be pretty high. Um, I think it'll be probably pretty solid if the Magic got Franz Wagner. Um, because I mean, he'll just improve any team. He will slightly improve any team that he's on limit turnovers a little bit, get a little more ball movement. Um, and in a team like Orlando, when you have a primary ball handler and half court offense runner, like, uh, Markel Fultz, I think it'll probably be good to have a wing that you can run a little bit of offense through. I totally agree. And I mean, I think me and you both agree with saying like, I just think Franz Wagner is just going to be a decent role player for the next decade. Yeah. I think he's just going to be on, he's going to be on winning teams. He's just going to make the plays that other people don't want to make. And I just think that's valuable to any team, no matter what stage you are, whether you're a championship team or you're rebuilding, I think it's good to have guys like that. There is a international prospect that I want to talk a little bit about that's just been brought up to me as of late. His name is Alperin Sengun. Um, kind of a crazy name. He plays in the Turkish League, and he just won the MVP as an 18-year-old. Um, every time we've seen this, it ends up working in the NBA. A player in the Euro Leagues, when they're young, and they just dominate. Um, obviously, Luca is a great example of this. Kristaps Porzingis was a really good example of this. And we had other guys um, who also did something similar. And his game is basically, I'm just going to torture you in the post. Um, he averaged 19 points in the Turkish league, just dominating in the post all game, every game. He barely took threes. He's definitely an old style big. But I think if Orlando stays in the picks they have, they could get Scotty Barnes at five or Jonathan Kaminga at five and then this kid at eight just to take some like two flyer picks and potentially land on a like an all-star level talent I mean if the plan is looking three four years in the future there's nothing wrong with that yeah um we're definitely in the NBA moving away from the low post scoring kind of game yeah um but the big men that they have over in Orlando, I mean, Mo Bamba hasn't proved to anybody that he deserves starting level minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jonathan Isaac can hit the three. You can play four out and leave uh, Sangoon down in the post if that's what you wanted to do. Yeah. Um, I don't know that he'll go top 10. Honestly, when your biggest strength is low post scoring, yeah. he's great at it from the, the highlights I'm watching. Uh, he seems pretty good at it, but. I'm not sure how sought after that kind of skill is anymore. I, I totally agree with you. He could fall because of that, but I know some of his other skills are like passing from the elbow 
and just stuff like that. So it seems like he could be like somewhat like Sabonis, maybe like a lower level of Sabonis. Hmm. Maybe that's his uh, comp. I don't know. But I mean, the fact that he's got that footwork at 18 is like very impressive. That, yeah, that bodes sh- really well for him in the future. And he shoots very well from the free throw line. And as we know, free throw shooters can learn how to shoot threes. If mm-hmm. they have the mechanics down from the free throw line, they will transfer to the three-point line. So, I mean, maybe Orlando takes him as a project pick. We try to teach him how to shoot threes. We try to make him a pick-and-pop guy instead of a pick-and-roll and post player. So, just want to throw his name out there for a little. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely an interesting pick. I'm, I wonder how much NBA scouts have really looked at this guy. Yeah. It's going to be a bunch of people doing what I just did and looking up Alperin Sangoon highlights. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> um, my, here's my worry here. Sacramento, number nine. Um, Jalen Johnson is the dude I've seen on some mock drafts, on the Bleacher Report mock draft going at number nine. Yeah. I think that would be a nightmare situation for Sacramento. I do too. A dude I who gave too. up on his team, a dude who already has signs of being a problematic culture fit. Um, that's not what Sacramento needs. Sacramento needs high floor, impactful winning players. Even if their ceilings aren't that high, you got De'Aaron Fox. uh, You need just a good team. Uh, Jalen Johnson definitely showed some talent, but I would not want to see him go number nine. I'm I'm with you. I would much rather take a player who, like Davian Mitchell, I know he's not going to fall that far, or Scotty Barnes, or even Sangoon, honestly. Like, why not? I just – I can't have a guy who has some questionable, like, teamwork aspects of his game. I just can't put that in the Kings locker room because you already have Marvin Bagley there, who's a nightmare. And you have Luke Walton, who seemingly has no control over his roster. So I just don't think it's a good fit. Yeah, I I mean, I think he'll go number nine. I don't think there will <laughs> be a lot of uh, question there. But if he does, honestly, I think it's a time to get rid of Marvin Bagley. It doesn't matter how low his trade value is right now. I think he needs new scenery, and Sacramento needs to just leave, uh, just get rid of him. Needs to stop, like they need to do whatever they can so that people stop bringing up the fact that they drafted Marvin Bagley over Luka Doncic. Yeah. Um, Because I think that'll be a glaring hole in Sac- like that'll be something people roast Sacramento for for decades yeah um and yeah I think it's just time they get rid of him it hasn't worked yeah no I'm totally with you. I would be okay if they cut him this morning like I, I don't even think it's even worth trading like I, I I think your roster is better off without Marvin Bagley on it so yeah hopefully they can figure that out soon but I think that wraps everything up with the draft um just super excited for summer league. So we get to watch these guys play a little bit and just the futures of all these guys. I, I'm very excited about the aspect of the, this draft moving forward. Yeah. I love just checking in on the draft and seeing all the new talent, but let's get into basketball. Yeah. Um, I want to start. So we don't, we don't really have to spend a lot of time on this cause it's already happened, but Clippers beat the jazz Rudy Gobert kind of made to look like a fool, kind of made to look a little useless. Um, but also the Utah Jazz just couldn't stop the other, the, the Clippers from driving. Yeah. Um, their, their offense was basically drive past your defender, Rudy Gobert runs to help you, and then you throw it to Terrence Mann, who hits a wide open three. <laughs> yeah. um, and that was obviously a failure from the Jazz. Good on the Clippers and good on Paul George for balling the hell out and getting mm-hmm. them wins. Yeah. Um, 
you've had some negative things to say about Paul George. I've had some negative things to say about Paul George. We'll get to, I think we should just jump into immediately this Clippers Sun series. Yeah. Um, because despite all the scoring, they needed him to hit a free throw out of two and he could not do it and they lost the game. Yeah. Um, so playoff P strikes again, just when you thought those 30 point games, just when you thought he was balling out. No, sir. Yeah. So uh, in the first game against the Suns, he had zero points in a fourth quarter and they lost by two. And then in game two, he had 10 points in the fourth quarter. But when he had the chance to ice the game at the free throw line, he missed both. And then the Suns proceed to throw an alley-oop to win the game. So Paul George is exactly who we thought he is. Um, he has shown that he can bring the scoring up a level. Um, we are not used to seeing Paul George score the way he's scoring in the playoffs this year. Um, but we are used to seeing him close out games like he's closing out games right here. So this doesn't shock me a ton. I'm happy he's starting to score a little bit more. Um, but he is best as a number two option. And even though with Kawhi out, he's been like just extraordinary through the first three quarters, you need a guy like Kawhi to just finish games. And Paul George isn't built that way. And that's okay. Not everyone has to be a closer. Um, but it, it definitely becomes more glaring considering what he has done throughout his career in late game opportunities. Um, so yeah, that's basically all I have to say about him. The fact that they have to rely on him is a little bit tough. Um, yeah. I think Paul George gets much more hate than anybody of his talent level. Uh, that's true. Like people just can't wait. You and me included a little bit, just can't wait to pile on him every time he messes up. Yeah. Um, and it is a bit unfair. You're right. He is a number two option. He's an incredible scorer in the first three quarters. Yep. Fourth quarter comes, and sometimes he can turn it on and keep it going. Sometimes he cannot at all. Um, but he's averaging 35 and five and a half over these yeah. first two games. So yep. he is – you can't say he's not impactful. He's playing a little bit of defense too. Mm. Um, I don't think there was a chance that the Clippers were winning this series without Kawhi Leonard. Um, and you no. can't count out the Clippers down 0-2 because they were down 0-2 in their first two series, and that yeah. was obviously no problem for them. Um, but I do think this is different. I do think that this 0-2 hole is much different than the first two that they were in because Chris Paul hasn't even played in the first two games. I just – yeah, I totally agree. Without Chris Paul, and they're still doing this, they're still finding a way to close out these close games. I mean, Chris Paul's the guy taking the shots in the final moments for the Suns, and he's not there, and they're still closing out these, like, neck-and-neck -neck games, and I think that really shows what the Suns are made of. Um, but, yeah, without Kawhi, I mean, this series was over before it started. I, don't, I hate to be that guy, but, I mean, if Kawhi's playing, this, this series, in my opinion, is a sweep. I think the Clippers just win. And then I just – I think it's over. I think the Clippers are in the finals. But um, I, the, without Kawhi playing, it's not, it's not even close. I think this ends in four for the Suns. I think the Suns get to go to the finals. And I think they have a decent shot at winning it. I love the Suns. Maybe not a sweep, actually. Because I do – I love the way DeAndre Ayton's playing, and I don't know how the Clippers deal with that, even if Kawhi's playing. So I think maybe it goes seven. But still, I think, I think this is a Clippers – disaster i think this could have been their year to make the finals if Kawhi's healthy 
Yeah, it's just bad timing. It's the all of the injuries, man. It's just it sucks. Yeah. All of the injuries to all these big stars. Um, as soon as the playoffs start, it sucks. Um, and I think it's proof that these guys need a little bit more rest during the season. They're being pushed a little bit too hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what these two games are shown us have shown us is it's more about what Phoenix is doing right than it is what LA is doing wrong. Hundred percent. Um, game one, Devin Booker records his first career career triple double putting up 40 points 13 rebounds and 11 assists with two turnovers yeah um they needed him to step up in a major way with chris paul gone and he did that and i just i love devin booker's game so much we'll get to trey young too but these devin booker and trey young have been called low impact uh like empty calorie players for years yeah. And as soon as they get the opportunity in the playoffs, they ball the hell out. And I love seeing it. Yeah. Um, the number two biggest part of this success is DeAndre Ayton. And it's not a question. Yeah. Um, the tip in that he got on game two, that was awesome. Excellent pass from Jay Crowder. Mm-hmm. Um, but his just, his efficient scoring has not stopped. No. He's shooting like over 70% from the field through these 14, 12 games that they've played so far. Yeah. Um, it's, it's amazing. I, I really, really love watching DeAndre Ayton play. Yeah, I mean, me and you say it all the time. Like, Suns fans should be upset that they don't have Luka, but they shouldn't be crying, right? Like, the, Sun, the Kings are crying every day that they don't have Luka. <laughs> yeah. The Suns, they can say, hey, we still made a, a great pick here. Like, DeAndre Ayton will be that, their franchise center for the next 12 years. And I think – like every game I watch him, I want to put him higher up the just centers in the league. Like, is he better than Rudy Gobert after what we just saw? <laughs> Seriously, it, I think it's a legitimate question. I don't know if I give it to him, but I think we can have that conversation. So he's just improving his value and improving, like just showing how good he is to the world every single game. Um, and like you said, throughout the entire playoffs, he's averaging 16 points on 73% from the floor and 11 rebounds. Like, that's just – it's insanity. And he, uh, his defense, who would have thought two years ago that he would be the defensive player he is today? I mean, he is, a, he is able to sh- shut people down in the paint, and he's able to somewhat switch on guys outside. Like, he has quick enough feet so where you're not like, oh, these are free points. Like, he can test those shots. So it's just – I, I could not be more impressed with DeAndre Ayton. The thing that I think he does best defensively, first of all, is positioning. He's just pretty much always in the right spots. Um, but the second most important thing is just staying vertical and not biting on pump fakes. Never. Um, he is so, so good. We saw this against Jokic. Jokic destroys people with pump fakes. Um, and Ayton, for the most part, just stayed tall, just held his arms up, didn't jump, and – it's so, so impactful when he does that. I think it's, it's definitely a conversation to have about who is more impactful, DeAndre Ayton or Rudy Gobert. Yeah. Um, I think Ayton maybe needs a little bit longer of a career before that's not disrespectful. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, we saw Rudy Gobert kind of be singled out in the playoffs. You can't do that to Ayton. And this is the difference between them two. I said before the Clippers-Jazz series, Rudy Gobert is not going to be able to punish Nick Batum. If you put Nick Batum on DeAndre Ayton, DeAndre Ayton's getting 25 points and 12 rebounds. Yeah, he did. 24 and 14 in games. Exactly. 
he's the type of guy who can punish smaller yes. players. He has the offensive wherewithal to turn over a shoulder, jump hook, or just dunk on their head. Mm-hmm. Rudy Gobert just doesn't. On the flip side, DeAndre knows pretty much every time when the, the ball he's – when it's not, like, efficient offense for him to take a shot, so he passes it. Yeah. Um, he knows his role perfectly. And, yeah, this is what I thought Rudy Gobert was going to be able to do against 6'7", Nick Batum. Um, but DeAndre Ayton just has confidence in his offense. Yes. He can, take a, he can turn and face up and just shoot right over him. He's got mm-hmm. little hooks that he can go to. Um, I, I, he's just – he's awesome. Campaign, too, stepped up. I wow. love that this dude was out of the league two years ago and just busted his ass. Now he's starting in Chris Paul's place and putting up 29 in game two. Um, just, I love this. This such a, It's such a good team from top to bottom. I have a hot take for campaign. I think he legitimately has a chance to win six man of the year awards for the Suns. Like, I look at his game and I, I think Lou Williams they're slender players, but they get to the hole whenever they feel like it, and they can hit the three. And the way campaign's playmaking right now is just absurd. This, the way he's limiting turnovers, I just didn't see from a player like campaign. Campaign strikes me as the guy who just would like throw passes to throw passes, um, yeah. not to actually get a bucket for your teammates. But he has been setting up guys and just taking care of the ball and. I can't help but think, like, if Phoenix keeps him around off the bench for the next couple of years, like, could he average, like, 14, 15 off the bench with, like, six assists? I think so. I, I think he's a great player. I think it's definitely possible. He'll have to decide whether or not he wants to take a smaller role and win and be a part of a really good franchise. Yeah. Or just chase as big a bag as he possibly can and start on a team that will be a little worse off for him. But you're right. If he decides to stay in Phoenix, he'd be an excellent six man. Um, His offensive game is a little unorthodox, Mm. not only because he's a lefty, just the way that he shoots off the dribble um, is a little bit different than pretty much everybody else in the league. Um, But it works so well, man. I just, the, the hustle that he has, the effort that he has, the hard work that he's put in is so, so commendable. Um, And the fact that he can take 24 shots in a conference finals game and it's not out of place. um, I just like so many, so much props to him. Yeah. I, I think this just speaks to the Phoenix Suns organization and how it's been, built over the last years I mean everyone knows that Robert Sarver the owner of that place is an idiot and he underpays everyone but Ryan McDonough he drafted DeAndre Ayton and he drafted Devin Booker and then once James Jones came uh came in charge he got CP3 and just kind of put the core pieces around them to make them a competitive team it's just been the team has been built built perfectly for the NBA playoffs Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the fact that they've made it and they're up 2-0 is awesome. Uh, Chris Paul coming back for game three. I mean, you can't count the Clippers out of these these game threes and fours. They always seem to find a way to win them. Yeah. Um, but I think this is a five-game series. I think so, too. I think I'm going to take the Clippers. Uh, not the Clippers. <laughs> the Suns in five. <laughs> I'm with you. All right, let's move on to the East. But we got to start with the semifinals and with Atlanta mm-hmm. and Philly. Yeah. Um, I, when we get to Atlanta Bucks, we can talk about how good Atlanta is. The story for this series is the Sixers failing. 
The story isn't anything amazing that the Hawks did. The story is Ben Simmons being unable and unwilling to take a shot, um, passing up a wide open dunk so that Matisse Thibel can get fouled on the baseline. Yeah. Um, ben Simmons has got to go. I, I have defended him in the regular season, but just watching him in the playoffs, watching him be kind of scared to rise up for these moments, he's got to get out. He's got to get out of Philly. I, I could not agree more. I, I, I mean, I said it the last podcast we have. If they lose that series to Atlanta, they can't bring Ben Simmons back. And they lost the series to Atlanta, and they can't bring Ben Simmons back. I mean, just like you said, the unwillingness to shoot is almost worse than a guy who shoots when he's not supposed to um, because he doesn't even give you a chance. Um, also, Doc Rivers, horrible coaching job once again, just figures out to blow games. Yeah, someone um, who's getting – before you keep going, someone who's escaping blame again, Tobias Harris. Yeah. Eight yeah. for 24. All we're talking about is Ben Simmons. He's eight for 24. Yeah. What is that? Yeah, I, you're absolutely right. And I remember watching the game thinking like, wow, Tobias Harris is like the only reason they're in this game. And they're eight. he was eight for 24. Like that's how anemic everyone else on that team was. I mean, Seth Curry, he played great, but it's – it doesn't help when Kevin Herter on the other end can just pick him out on defense every single time and score at will. Um, Seth Curry is a bucket getter. He doesn't know how to do anything else. So um, that series, like you said, it's not about what the Hawks did well. It's about what the Sixers did poorly. And Ben Simmons just encapsulates that better than anything. He sat the final minute of the game seven, played 35 <laughs> yeah. minutes, almost 36 minutes, and they could not play him in the last minute of the game. Um, I think that says everything. Yeah. Um, moving on, though, to the flip side, because there is some stuff we got to talk about with Atlanta. Kevin Herter had an amazing game seven. Yeah. Um, this dude is he, – he does this sometimes. One out of seven games, one out of eight games, he just absolutely uh, catches fire. Yeah. Um, and just watching him shoot with confidence, watching this whole team shoot with confidence is really, really cool. I think Nate McMillan – deserves so much credit i said this last time yeah um but the fact that you have so many different guys on this team who can take shots with confidence uh is is huge and i think a lot of credit goes to him for preparing this team trey young had an absolutely garbage game and they still won by seven yep um five for 23 for trey young i think two of those hits were in the last couple minutes of the game they were yep um so he was just useless out there, but they were still just – they were in it the entire game. I knew they were winning this game when Trey Young was one for 14 and the Hawks were up two. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, amazing. Yeah. Trey Young, it was one of the worst games, like, statistically ever in a game seven. But when it came down to crunch time, guess who hit the biggest shots? Trey Young. Yep. Um, like a 30-foot three just swooshed through the net and a nice little floater, I believe. Um, it does not shock me that he's the guy taking those shots and making those shots. Um, and people, let's talk about Kevin Herter for a second. People forget that dude's six, eight. Yeah. Like, yes. Yes. He's a white boy, but he is huge <laughs> and he knows how to play. Like he was giving the Sixers issues. And like you said, they have so many players that just shoot the ball confidently. So I chose the Hawks in seven. I, I couldn't, I like at one point I thought there was no chance of that happening. Once I saw Joel beat Joel and beat in game two, I was like, there's no way in hell it's happening, but they managed to do it. So I'll, I'll take the dub there. I, 
uh, I think this is, I don't know, it might be wrong of me to say this, but I think the better team won. Um, I think the Sixers are more talented, but with Joel playing on this torn meniscus, you could tell it was getting to him. Every single game that went on in this series, you could tell he was a little bit more hobbled than the game before. Um, I think, and especially with Ben Simmons just being an absolute zero out there, I think the better team did win. Joel, like, averaged over 30 the entire series, though. Even in Game 7, he scored 31 with 11 rebounds. He did. And he looked amazing. But outside of him, there wasn't help. Yeah, no, um, it, there was no help anywhere. Yeah, I'm, Ben Simmons had 13 assists in that game seven, and even a lot of those assists are not incredibly impactful. No. Um, they're not – sometimes the stat line can be a little bit deceiving. That 13-assist game is not crazy from him. Um, I think the crazier story is the – I think he took seven shots in the game fours in all the game fours combined – or the sorry, the fourth quarters combined. Yeah. Um, seven shots in yeah. the fourth quarter of the entire series. That's horrible. Yeah. Joel Embiid was over 12 in the fourth quarter of one of these games. He missed yeah. more in one game than Ben Simmons took the whole series. Uh, where do you think Ben Simmons goes? Where is there value for him in this league right now? Um, on a team that, like Portland, I think I've seen CJ McCollum for Ben Simmons get floated around a lot. I actually kind of like that just because I think Ben can kind of be like a supercharged Draymond Green where he can just get Damian Lillard the ball over and over and over again and just set hard screens and play defense. But other than that, I don't see like a whole lot of teams that are like begging for Ben Simmons. I just feel like his value is so low right now. I don't know where he fits in the league other than Portland, really. Yeah, I mean, Portland, it seems like a, yeah, Ben Simmons for CJ McCollum is all that I've seen. Um and it's, it's definitely possible. Both teams need a shakeup. Um, I think it's time for him to maybe start playing the power forward. At yeah. his size, at 6'10", he can even – you can have him guard whoever you want defensively, but he – if you're going to leave him and just sit in the dunker spot the whole game, he can't be your point guard. I totally agree. I think he could even be your small ball center. Yeah. Um, we've seen what the Clippers do. We've seen what the Warriors do with Draymond at center. I feel like a team like Portland would benefit greatly from having Ben Simmons at the centerpiece sometimes. Like, but with Joel on the roster, you just can't experiment like that. And I think that's where Ben Simmons gets into trouble sometimes because his, his ideal fit is just not on the 76ers and his weaknesses are glaring because he can't do what he's good at on the Sixers. I think his value is lower than it probably should be because I still have some belief in him, at, but it needs to be in a different place. Yeah, I think right now would be a good time if there's a team out there that really thinks that they can unlock a little bit in him mm. uh, to trade for him right now because his value has never been lower. Yeah, I, the issue with that is the Sixers are going to need something back that helps them come closer to a championship and garbage teams don't have anything to offer. So it's going to be teams that are like on the border of contending. Ben Simmons is getting paid $177 million. I don't think that the Sixers have enough leverage to demand a high quality player in return. Yeah. I think, I think CJ for Ben is really the only thing I've seen that works out well. I've also seen Buddy Heald, Marvin Bagley, and someone else for uh, Ben Simmons because you get some shooting on the team. But still, like the, I feel like you're 
you're selling a dollar for 75 cents in that case. Yeah, you can never really do that and get away with it in the NBA. Yeah, so it's just Ben Simmons, that series was a disaster. <clears throat> the Sixers are in flux. Doc Rivers was horrible. The whole thing, like there, there needs to be upheaval. Um, and that's why they're out of the playoffs. Yeah, um, so let's just move on to the Eastern Conference Finals here. Uh, Atlanta Hawks won. Trey Young had 48 points. And I just, I think I need to give a bit of an apology to the Atlanta Hawks because my first thought, and I texted this to you, is if Chris Middleton doesn't have an absolute stinker of a night, the Bucks win this game. Yeah. Um, and that has been my thought. I think every time the Hawks win a game is, <laughs> ah, well, if this, this, and that had happened in this way, well, then the yeah. Hawks would have lost the game. And it's right. just, it's irrelevant. That's not how the game went. Right. Um, the Hawks are, are are built for this, man. Trey Young is built for this. 48 freaking points. Yeah. Um, it was just absolutely balling out. The three ball wasn't falling, really, but he was no. able to score inside. He's got good floaters. Um, got to the line 12 times, knocked down 10 of them. He had 11 assists. It was just an epic game from Trey Young. That lob off the backboard to John Collins, the balls to go for that in a yeah. playoff game like this, unreal. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm totally with you. And, I, like, before I get into it, I'm choosing Hawks and seven in this series. Um, the Hawks won last night while shooting 25% from three. And if you think the Hawks are going to shoot 25% from three again, you're dead wrong. Um, I don't think that has anything to do with Milwaukee's defense. I think it has to do with Atlanta shooters being off. And they still won while their shooters were off. So I think that just lends itself to great news coming forward. And Atlanta's a great free throw shooting team and the Bucks are not. You can put Giannis on the line however times you want and he will miss most of them. Um, I just think the Bucks. the reason I'm choosing the Hawks over the Bucks is in one minute left in the game, it's tied. Who do I want, Trey Young or Giannis? And it's easily Trey Young. Um, he can floater he can set up other guys it's just it's not close imagine saying that last year I know I know it's crazy how much things have changed but Trey has shown us like he is that guy and Giannis has showed us that maybe he isn't so yeah. I, I I trust Trey Young and I also trust the Atlanta surrounding cast to play well more than I do Chris Middleton to have a three straight good games or drew holiday to have three straight good games i just don't trust those two players so i'm just going to take atlanta in seven i did see some things that concerned me last night before i hand it over to you in the fourth quarter the pick and roll just destroyed atlanta's defense um they had no idea how to stop Giannis from going to the hoop in just a simple pick and roll action because they weren't switching so Giannis was just able to get to the hoop at will and just get four straight dunks. And if they don't figure how to switch and kind of slow down that action, it's going to be a tougher series. But I believe in Nate McMillan way more than I do Mike, uh, Mike Budenholzer. So I'm just going to stay with the Hawks in seven. I'm going to take Bucks in seven. Um, but I totally, I respect everything that you just said. Um, they're, the Hawks are not going to be able to solve the Giannis pick and roll. They don't have DeAndre Hunter. DeAndre Hunter is such an impactful defender. Clint Capella is not mobile enough. John Collins isn't strong enough. Onyeka Kongwu isn't strong enough. Yeah. Um, so Giannis is going to get his own for this whole series. The bigger, more important thing about that last, that game one, 
in the last four minutes and 30 seconds of play, the Bucks got zero rebounds. The Atlanta Hawks got five offensive rebounds and five defensive rebounds, and the Bucks got none. They went small. They took Brook Lopez out, and it killed them. Um, you can't get zero rebounds in the last couple minutes of a basketball game and expect yeah. to win, especially when you have the offense that the Bucks have. Um, their offense is so clunky and just not appealing to watch. It's so kind of ugly as a basketball fan to watch the Bucks run their offense. Yeah. Um, I, I think Giannis can have a 40-point game a couple of times in this series. Yeah. Um, I want to first give – a little bit of thanks to Drew Holiday um, because I don't know what he's been doing for these playoffs. I know he's expending a lot of energy defending these best players and he's supposed to be doing that to Trey Young and look how well that worked out, but yeah. he scored 33 points on good efficiency today and, yeah. or yesterday and he hit his threes. Yeah. Um, so props to him for doing that. He had 10 assists as well, played pretty solid. Okay. Defense. Um, just Trey Young got too many switches. Yep. I don't know how any team expects to stop Trey Young when he can take those thirty-foot threes, um, just like off a off a pick, just move a, two steps to the right, launch a thirty-foot three. I don't know how you really expect to stop that without a team full of elite guard defenders. Um, and the Bucks don't have that. They have Drew Holiday, and that's it. I think the bigger issue is the way Brooke Lopez was defending Trey Young. Drop coverage, man. That's what every, it always is. Every single possession, Brooke Lopez would drop to beneath the basket while on Trey Young. Everyone on God's green earth knows that Trey Young has one of the best floaters in the NBA. So it's just an easy bucket every freaking play, and it's like they never adjusted. They that's never, on Budenholzer. I know they never adjusted, and that's why I'm choosing the Hawks because I know Budenholzer is just going to give Trey Young at least 10 open floaters a game, and I trust Trey Young to hit seven. So that's 14 free points just because Brooke Lopez doesn't want to get up on the screen. I, I don't know, man. It's like you, we know Budenholzer is not going to adjust. He's a, he's a the way he coaches is it's this way or the highway. He comes into a series with his strategy, and he doesn't move off of it. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to kill him. I think it is, and I hope that if this isn't a seven-game series and the Hawks win, Bud loses his job still. I don't care that you beat the hobbled Nets. Yeah, um, neither do I. I. I think it would just be in the best interest of the Bucks if he was gone. Um, like, I don't know that if they can't get to the finals with this roster this year, they can't do it with this crew. They got to shake something up. Um, the drop coverage kills – the drop coverage Embiid was doing the same thing. And it's just the way big man defense is played in the NBA right now. And it just doesn't work well enough. Trey Young, you're right, has incredible touch with the floaters. Um, but the problem is if Brooke Lopez steps up on him, he isn't quick enough to actually stop Trey. Trey's just going to fire it to Capella and that's a dunk. Right. Um, I don't know what the solution is when you're lanky and s- slow like Brooke Lopez is. Mm-hmm. Um, they tried to go small and then they just got crushed on the rebounds. It's such an interesting thing too, because you'd think Giannis at the five gives them some defensive and offensive options. Um, it, with Giannis at the five, you can switch on to Trey Young and it's not that big of a deal. Yes, Trey Young's faster than Giannis, but Giannis is huge. So he can kind of swallow him up a bit. And then on offense, we saw the pick and roll work pretty well. But if you get crushed on the boards, like you're talking about, 
Atlanta's just going to keep getting second chances. And with their shooters, they're going to hit the occasional open three off an offensive rebound. So who knows, man? Yeah, I, I just want to give a little bit of credit to Clint Capella and John Collins. They have been pretty consistently good pieces throughout the playoffs so far. Yeah. Um, never really doing too much. They're never – I mean, John Collins had 23. Um, but they're always there. They're always there hitting the shots they need to hit, being in the right spots if Trey Young can hit them with passes. Um, they've been as consistent as you can ask for. Uh, game two, Cam Reddish is supposed to come back. I think the most important piece that they're missing right now is uh, DeAndre Hunter. Yeah. Do you think Cam Reddish coming back does a lot for the Hawks? Because I think it's minimal, the impact he brings. I think it does a lot, actually. Uh, I think Cam Reddish has proved that he's a great defender in this league already, just Mm. in his two years of play. And if that means you can take Solomon Hill off the court for a couple more minutes and you can switch Cam Reddish on to Giannis for a couple possessions, I think that helps more than maybe you think. Maybe, yeah. Okay, I just – I wasn't really thinking about the player he'd be replacing. Um, yeah. <laughs> Cam Reddish is not an incredible player, but he is far more impactful than Solomon Hill. Yes. Um, he can do, he can play good defense. I think better defense against someone like Middleton or holiday than he would against Giannis. Um, Cause he just doesn't have the strength to guard a dude like Giannis. Yeah. But he's got the speed and he's tall enough for his position that I think he'd do pretty well against holiday and Middleton. He's six, eight. Is he really? Wow. He's, yeah. He's six, eight. So he is a little bit on the skinnier side compared to Giannis. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I'm still comfortable putting him on. Um, I think he's going to compete, and I think he's going to try his hardest. And with that size and athleticism, I think he can make life a little more difficult um, than maybe Solomon Hill would for Giannis. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. I really think eventually Reddish has got the ability to make some all-defensive teams. Yeah, I do too. I, I think he's a good player, and I think DeAndre Hunter does too. So I, it's just a good roster. But, yeah. So you have Bucks in seven? I have Bucks in seven, and I guess I need to explain it a little bit. Um, yeah. Chris Middleton, six for 23. This, uh, he's, he does this, man. We, we've talked about this, but maybe a third of the games he plays, he just plays like absolute garbage. Um, just disappears, bricks every shot he takes. Yeah. Um, he'll have two good games this series, and I think both those two games the Bucks will win. I expect Giannis to average 34 for this series. Um, what I hope, because I, I, I just don't see anybody stopping him in the post. Yeah. Yeah. Um, two threes has got to be the maximum amount this dude takes. Mm-hmm. Um, Drew Holiday, it seems like, I mean, I don't, I don't think this offensive output is here to stay. Um, but I think they can involve Bryn Forbes and Pat Connaughton a little more as shooters and get a little bit more spacing for Giannis. I expect to see a better small ball lineup from the Bucks throughout this series. Cause I think that there were some strengths to going small ball and putting Giannis at the five. Yeah. Um, if they could just figure out how to rebound that last quarter, that fourth quarter ends a bit differently for Milwaukee. Yeah. I, I, I totally agree with you. That's one of the things I'm worried about with my pick in Hawks and seven. If, if Budenholzer does adjust and puts Giannis at the five, Clint Capella can't stay with Giannis. We all know that. So I think Giannis is just going to have a runway to the hoop every single play. So if Budenholzer gets off of his like high horse and actually makes that adjustment, I think my prediction's in trouble, but I'm putting my money on that he doesn't. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's always a safe bet that Budenholzer will not adjust and his team will lose. That's always yeah. a safe bet. <laughs> yeah, so I, I have a surprise. So I, I think we're all done with that, right? Yeah. Okay, I have a surprise for you. And this is something I did on my own time. And I thought it was clever, but then I saw everyone on Instagram do it after me. So a little, little heated about that. But I made an all-NBA choke team. So all the worst players in the playoffs – thus far and i just thought i'd run it by you so far the, so this is this playoffs this playoffs yes this playoffs yeah, so i'm gonna, okay yeah go go i'm gonna give you the top five okay so we have drew holiday at point guard he's been atrocious mm-hmm. kyle kuzma <laughs> the joke that he should be on the shanghai sharks i tend to agree <laughs> julius randall yeah ben simmons and rudy gobert that's your starting five. Oh, i rudy gobert i don't blame him so much Okay. That might be a little ridiculous, but their strategy, the game plan was, Rudy Gobert, you're going to stay in the paint, and we're going to leave Terrence Mann open for shots. It wasn't like he was playing bad defense. That was Quinn Snyder's plan, is you deter shots in the paint if people drive past our wings, um, and if we leave a wide-open corner three for one of their bench guys, so be it. I thought I thought it showed a true weakness in his game that he can't get out to the perimeter in time. Uh, that's that's the way I viewed it. It's it's definitely fair and offensively he's a joke. Um, so I I can accept that. Okay, so now we're going to the all second NBA choke team with Westbrook at the point. <laughs> R.J. No Barrett, there. yeah, R.J. Barrett up at the shooting guard. Uh-huh. Joe Harris. Yeah, was horrible. Jaron Jackson Jr. People, oh. yeah, some people just want to forget about what he did in the playoffs. Go check out those numbers. And then Kristaps Porzingis. Tangus Pangus. Tangus Pangus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I mean, I I don't know that I could swap any of those names out. I'm surprised Jaron Jackson Jr. even got a nod. Yeah. Um, because who talks about Jaron Jackson Jr. Right. Um, right. But he definitely did not show up in these playoffs. Yeah, he deserved a spot on this team. And I have some honorable mentions as well. If Paul George is an honorable mention, <laughs> I think that's a little ridiculous. No. I know he choked those two free throws. Tell me he's an honorable mention. He's not. He's All right, not. Good. <laughs> so I, I respect him enough to m- not put him there. All right, good. Um, but Dennis Schroeder, horrible. Yep. Dog. Uh, basically cost himself $20 million just in the playoffs alone. You know who you're missing right now that actually I think deserves a second team mention at least? Let me, let me hear it because I have two Butler. more. Jimmy Butler. Honestly, good call. Yeah, I'll put him in the honorable mentions. Where um, was he against yeah, the Bucks? Disappeared. So Jimmy Butler talked the most, played the least. He played horrible. <laughs> yeah. Um, James Harden I have on here. And I know people are going to be like, oh, he was on one leg. I do not care. <laughs> I don't care. Go look at his previous playoff resume and tell me this isn't shades of the past where he's just dog shit in the playoffs and it has anything to do with this leg. Um, I, I won't go that far. James Harden was playing <laughs> playing on a hamstring sprain. It was not healed. He um, was so bad, though. Oh, my God. He was pretty useless. Was he, was just a, he was just a body out there. And as I made this list, it was after I saw James Harden hyping up the crowd when he was three for 15 from the floor. And he was like, <laughs> let's go. Like, it just pissed me off. But yeah. 
Um, Jimmy Butler, that's a great addition too. So that's that's the all NBA choke team that I thought I'd throw at you for a surprise. That's that's perfect. I'll need to make the reverse of that. Um, yeah, the guys who step up the most. Yeah, that's a that's a good episode. Actually, we could do that. Yeah. Oh, speaking of next episode, um, so the draft list is out. The draft lottery order is out. So we're gonna have a mock draft for you guys pretty soon. Yeah. Um, we might just go through the lottery because I'm not sure how many people really care about 15 to 30. Yeah, we'll do the lottery. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think we 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 said a lot on this podcast. I think we both even have more to say. Oh, yeah. Um, so expect a mock draft episode coming soon. Yeah. All right, guys. I think that wraps everything up. Super fun episode. Thank you guys for joining us. Uh, ben, you got anything else to say? No, nope, said it all. Thanks, everybody. Peace. Peace. Thanks, everybody, for listening in. If you want to interact with us at The Chase Down, make sure to find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Blogger at The Chase Down Pod to join the conversation. Peace, everybody.